Well, good morning to you. Thank you so much for praying for our New York City mission team. We got back Saturday. There was a group of 11 that went with us. Anton is here, and he went on the trip. Connor's here, he went on the trip. And Mason is here, and he went on the trip. Feel free to catch them after the service and ask them how the trip went. A um, little over 800 languages or dialects are spoken in New York City. Can you imagine that? 93 countries are represented in New York City alone. With that comes different religions and thoughts and opinions, practices, all in one city, and that makes ministry really, really tough. We loved seeing your son there, Jordan Salceda, as he as church planning there in New York City with his wife, Becky, and they both, uh, Jordan and Becky, were in this church years ago. Uh, and then Becky went to Owasso, moved there, and she was in that church for a while, the Owasso campus, and so they're very special to us. We had a great time, a great week, spending time and doing ministry with the Salsetas in New York City. Even the subways were great. We, we were good in the subways, too. It was really interesting. Um, turn, uh, grab a Bible, grab your phone, whatever you got there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In just a moment, we're going to look at that. So we were actually really tired. We were ready to get back home, but at the same time, we wanted to stay in New York City, where the Bronx is actually, which is where we were. We spent most of our time in the Bronx. The Salsetas are starting a church there. It's actually started Trey's here also. He went on the trip. I didn't see their Trey. Um, they're starting this church in the Bronx, and they're five years into it, and uh, great ministries happening. But we were ready to get home. There was a storm, Storm Elsa. If you didn't know that, it was moving up the East Coast, and it was, uh, it was quickly approaching New York City. In fact, when we woke up at 3 in the morning to catch a shuttle to the airport, it was like monsoon outside the building that we were staying in. And we were, like, ready to get out of there so we wouldn't get stuck there. And so we got on the shuttle. We get to the airport. Everything's pretty smooth in the airport. Um, and then we're about to board the plane. And uh, our anxiety, my anxiety started to kick in because I'm not a big fan of Southwest Airlines. And the reason why is because I like to know what my seat is. Carol, you've taken a lot of flights before. I want to know that I'm, before I ever get on the plane, that I have a window seat so I can look out when I get bored. Also, so I can lean my head up against the window or that sidewall so I can fall asleep and not mess and bother my, uh, the people that are traveling next to me. Well, as you know, Southwest Airlines, you can't really do that. You actually, they give you Section A, Section B, or Section C, and we were in Section C, and so basically we were the last ones to get on the plane. As we're boarding the plane, I hear them saying over the speaker, find seats quickly. We're trying to get out of here because the storm is approaching. And I'm like, we got to get on the plane. We got to get out of here. I, I got to get back home and see my family, and I got to preach Sunday. And so I'm ready to go. Also, my son Connor is with me, and he went on the trip, and he's not taken a lot of flights before, so he really wanted an air, a, a seat by the air. I mean, he wanted a seat by the window so he could see outside and, and also lean his head up against the side. So I'm thinking, all right, I got to get on the, the, the plane and find us two seats, one for me, one for Connor, and I want to make sure that he gets a, a window seat. And I just, as a father, I just wanted to help him, help him out there. And so we're walking and we're looking for seats. Well, then they came on the intercom and said, there's only middle seats. There's only middle seats. So find a seat. Get a seat quickly. We've got to get out of here. The storm's approaching. 
And so everyone's trying to get sit, you know, seated and so forth. I looked over to my left about halfway down the plane, and there's a man sitting in a section or sitting in an aisle by himself. There's two empty seats, one by the window, one in the middle, and he was there. I'm thinking, perfect, perfect. This is my spot. This is Connor's spot. So I walk up and said, sir, we'd like to sit here. I'm sorry, these are saved. I was tired. I was ready to get home. The storm was approaching. The airline stewardess, and they were all pressuring us to get seats. And he says, I'm sorry, they're saved. And under my breath, as I walk away, I said, I thought this was Southwest Airlines where you could pick your own seat. And I kept walking. And then he said, they're in the bathroom. That's why I'm saving the seats. And all of a sudden, I felt really bad. Because I was disrespectful. I was rude, just to be quite honest, to that guy. I'm not going to justify my actions. They were wrong. Yes, I was tired. Yes, I was ready to get home. Um, But that doesn't matter. No excuses. I was rude. I was disrespectful. Well, Connor and I got to sit next to each other in the very back of the plane. We did not get to sit by a window. I was in the middle. Connor was in the aisle. It all worked out fine. As we're traveling back home, all I could think about was, what if that guy found out that I was with the church? What if that guy found out I was leading a a group on a mission trip? And and all he could think about was how disrespectful and rude I was. Is that going to hurt my witness? Is he going to find out what church I work at and call my boss, call Chris and let me know? Then Chris fires me. He wouldn't fire me. But but all these questions started going on in my mind. What if? What if? And I really started feeling bad for what I said, for my sarcasm and for my disrespect and for me being rude. I have a feeling that nobody here is judging me. I have a feeling that you're probably going, oh, I've done something like that too before. Maybe it wasn't verbal. Maybe it wasn't out loud. Maybe it was just in your mind. But if I know people well enough, even people within the church, I would assume that most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, have been disrespectful. And we have been rude. Maybe even this past week in some way, whether it's with a coworker, a stranger, someone in your own home, a neighbor, I'm guessing that we're all sinners. We can all be disrespectful at times, and we can all be rude. I'm so thankful we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and man, we're picking it apart. And today we're going to focus on the very first part of verse 5. And so I would love for us to, to stand as we read the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 5. It says this, if I, speak, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, And if I differ, I'm sorry, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but if not love, I gain nothing. And then Paul goes on to say, love is patient. It's kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So man, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 5, let me give you some background. So scholars believe that the city of Corinth uh, had about 250,000 people when this was written. It was a big place, very prosperous, a lot of businessmen, a lot of different people. Scholars believe that there were native Greeks there and Jews and Romans, government officials, businessmen, even prostitutes, all different kinds of people were in this city. It was moving and it was shaking, it was happening, right? And so Paul actually wanted to start a church there. He spent 18 months there pulling believers together and starting a church, just like the Saul Satis are doing. They're pulling believers together, they're recruiting new believers, they're sharing the gospel, and they're starting this church, or Paul's starting this church in the city of Corinth. He'd spent 18 months with them. Well, time goes by. About five years later, some of the people in the church are like, our church is a mess. There's crazy stuff that's going on. In fact, you don't have to go there. Let me just read through this. 1 Corinthians 5, they were open to immorality in the church. 1 Corinthians 1 through 4, there were leadership problems and issues in the church. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 39, there was some confusion about the belief of, uh, the beliefs of, about marriage. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 11, there were church members that were offending one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there was disorderly worship that was going on. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 58, there was doubts about the resurrection. There was theological differences and they were fighting and arguing about the resurrection. One of the most important moments of our history. There were families that were breaking up. There were debates over doctrine. There was arrogance going on. Some of the leaders in the church who were wealthy would actually go into the services early when they were having the Lord's Supper or the agape feast is what they would call it. They would go in early to get food and drink and they would actually get drunk and they would not consider the rest of the church members. And so when all the other church members showed up, everything was gone. All they were concerned about was being first and beating everybody to the punch. And so they were just, um, they were arrogant. And then there was bitterness. There was lawsuits going on. Man, it kind of sounds like our culture, doesn't it? Maybe not inside this church, but it sounds like our culture. And so these messengers went to Paul and said, Paul, this is going on in our church. You need to know about it. And so Paul says, all right, I'm going to write him a letter. And he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He wrote more than that, but he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for his church members. And he's basically saying, this is what love is and it's what it's not. Paul never had plans for 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to be about just marriage or to be just in, in weddings or to be on Hallmark cards. It was really meant for the church. Now, it can be adapted to anything in life. But Paul is like correcting his church members in this scripture. So that's what's going on. That's the history of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The church was becoming just like the city of Corinth, and Paul was going, shame on you. As a church, we're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be separated from the rest of the world when it comes to sin and the way that we live. We're supposed to be holy and we're supposed to be like him so we can be different and be an influence. And he's coming around saying, let's talk about this. Let me speak into your life. Let me, let me remind you what we're supposed to be about. 
And so today we're talking about how to be respectful and not be rude because love is not disrespectful. Love is not rude. No, I was not loving on the plane. Just like many of us, there have been times where we have not been loving and respectful. And so I want us to talk through this a little bit. I'd like for you to take notes today. Um, And then at the end of the service, this is just kind of my style. I want to ask you, out of the three points we're going to talk today, talk to you about today, I want to ask you, which one of the three do you need to camp out on? Even after we leave today and we go home, we go back to work, we go inside our neighborhoods and our communities, which one of the three do you need to work on most? I've got one picked out, and I'll share mine as well at the end. So get your pens or your phones ready, however you choose to do that. So what can we do? How can we be better at loving others as believers in Christ in the church, even outside the church? I want to share three things that might be helpful to you, all right? The first thing is this. We need to see people the way God sees people. Man, that can be hard sometimes because we can be opinionated. We can have our preferences Just like me, I had my opinion. Southwest is an airline where I get to pick my seat. You don't save seats, right? We can have opinions. We can have preferences. Um, You see, everyone is God's creation, right? Everyone is God's creation. When we were in the subway this week, almost every time we got on the subway, somebody would pop in the subway with a box of chips or candy or candy bars or something, and they were selling it because most likely they were homeless and they needed money. And they would walk up and down and they would say, please, can you just buy some chips? Or I I need some money, can you please buy this beef jerky? Can you buy these snacks? And they would walk in and, and they would sometimes collect money, sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they weren't dressed like us. They didn't smell like us. They would look different than us, and it would be easy to have an opinion of that homeless person as they were going up and down the subway car asking for money. See, God created that person, and I need to see that person the way God sees that person. The man that we got to meet in the Bronx who said, all religions are good, as long as you pick one. Oh, and he said, and by the way, I wouldn't be starting a Baptist church in the Bronx. Won't you start a Catholic church? You'll get tons of people. He had an opinion. He had preferences. And, and I had lots of disagreement with a lot of, a lot of what he said. God created him. I need to see him the way God sees him. I love in Genesis, it's real clear. It says, God, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And here's the cool part. Genesis 1.31. Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The scripture doesn't say, ah, it was okay. Ah, the rich people are good. Ah, those who live in big cities, they're, they're okay. Those who believe in this political party, they're okay. No, he created everyone. And if he created everyone, 
and we're being disrespectful and rude even to the people that he created, then we're being disrespectful and rude to that which he created. We need to see people the way he sees people. Everyone was worth Christ dying for. Think about that. Everyone was worth Christ dying for. John 3, 16, you know it. Most of you know it. You learned it in vacation Bible school. For God so loved the world. Not just the poor, not just the rich, not just somebody who believes in that or believes in that. He died for everyone. It says as Christ died for us when we were powerless, he died for us when we were ungodly, he died for us when we were sinners. He died for us when we were even enemies of God. And so here's a question that goes with that. Whoo, it's convicting. I had to really think through this this week as I was preparing. Here's the question. What were you like when Christ died for you? What were you like when Christ died for you? It's a great question. So the first point is this. Let's try to see people the way God sees people. Everyone is God's creation. Everyone was worth Christ dying for. Everyone. Even the guy that was saving seats on Southwest Airlines. Number two. We're talking about how we, how we can love people, not be disrespectful and not be rude. So here's something else to think about. Number two, remember that your actions reveal who you are. Your actions reveal your character. They reveal who you are. First John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I am so thankful for Chris Wall, our pastor. He and I have known each other for many years. We were on staff together a long time ago at Council Road Baptist Church. We spent three and a half years together. Some of the greatest pranks I ever pulled on anybody in life were against Chris Wall at Council Road Baptist Church. I'll tell you about those later. I've got a lot of stories on him. He has none on me. But I so appreciate, I so appreciate Chris. I want you to think about this. The day he was resigning from being, the day he was resigning at Council Road Baptist Church, he'd been there 19 years, almost 20 years. The day he was resigning, he was just about to preach and then resign to his church to say, God's called me somewhere else. Very emotional day, very tolling day. He decided he wanted to read his emails that morning, and he opens up emails. He gets an email from a guy in Owasso who's a part of our church, but he's, he's not there a whole lot, but he still claims First Baptist as his home church. And the email basically said, why are you coming here? You've never been a pastor of a church before. You're inexperienced. And it crushed Chris's heart. It crushed him. Chris resigned that day. 
followed through with everything. He comes to Owasso. He continues to get more emails from this guy that was very clear. Are you sure you're the guy? You don't have any experience. Why would you come here? Maybe I need to talk to the personnel team and talk with him. But Chris is already at the church. He's already our pastor. Chris continued just to be nice and kind to this guy, to be respectful. He wasn't rude. He loved this guy. A couple years go by, this man's friend passed away. And Chris got to do that man's funeral. All right? So the man that sent him the email, his friend had passed away. Chris did his friend's funeral. And because Chris did nothing but love him through emails, love him with phone calls, saw him in person a couple times, Chris just continued to love him, not be disrespectful, not be rude. Because of that, after the funeral, the man that had sent him those emails and that was rude and disrespectful to Chris, he walks up to Chris after he did his friend's funeral, shook Chris's hand and said, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor, for leading my friend's funeral. Chris continued to love him, even going to his house and visiting with him and meeting his family. The guy was still kind of harsh, still kind of rude and disrespectful, but Chris kept loving him. And then Chris eventually got to lead his funeral. I just love Chris's example. He loves people. He's not rude. He's not disrespectful. What a great example our own pastor is to us. Thanks for Chris Wall and for his example. Number two, your actions reveal who you are. I'm so thankful that Chris is godly. And he loves people. And practices what God's word says. Number three. Number three. Be tactful. Be tactful. Proverbs 15, 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to man, and a word in season, how good it is. Man, the right moment, the right time, with the right tone, with the right answer, loving people, not being rude, not being disrespectful, that's good. And it brings joy to a man. And being tactful can bring joy to somebody instead of crushing their spirits. Considering people's feelings, being honest, being respectful, being courtesy, showing courtesy to people, being thoughtful, those are characteristics of being tactful. Let me read those to you again. Considering people's feelings, that's being tactful. Honesty is being tactful. Having respect is being tactful. Showing courtesy to others is tactful. Being thoughtful is tactful. Using a good approach and a thoughtful approach is being tactful. That can be tough sometimes, right? When I was student pastor at, at First Baptist of Wausau, a student pastor for 13 years, we were um, looking for a new cabin at Falls Creek. Greatest camp in the world, largest camp in the world. Dale, you've been there how many times? 40-something maybe? 41 times? You're a legend at Falls Creek. 
Aaron's been there a lot. A lot of you been, who's been to Falls Creek? Raise your hand. Lots of people, right? You've seen the cabins at Falls Creek, right? We were looking for a new cabin and a big cabin. Our student ministry exploded. Junior high was going one week. High school was going another week. We needed a bigger cabin for our high school students. And I found out that Ada, First Baptist Church, was building a cabin. Like it was being hush-hush. They didn't want people to know. So I found out about it. I called a guy at Ada, and he goes, man, you need to talk to one of the secretaries. She's in charge of kind of taking names of people who might be interested in the cabin. But really, we're not taking names because it's not, it's not completed yet. And I'm like, okay, called the secretary, and I said, we need a cabin. This is our need. We've grown so much. We don't have space. We don't have room anymore. And it's really, we got to have this cabin, or we're going to have to go to another camp, and it's not going to be the same. And she goes, well, I'll put you down in pencil. What's your name? What's your church? And she wrote it down in pencil, right? And I'm thinking, that's, that doesn't, that's not good for me. I've got to have a contract. I've got to know that the pastor knows or something. We need this cabin. Well, I then found out that the cabin was starting to look like Bass Pro Shop. You think I'm kidding? Who's seen the cabin? Looks just like Bass Pro Shop. Not as big. But it looks like like log cabin. You could take this and put it in Colorado. I mean, it's beautiful. Sleeps 235 people. It's got its own basketball court. It's on the sand volleyball court. It's beautiful on the inside. Huge fireplace. I mean, your Dale's it incredible or what? It's beautiful. We needed that cabin for the space. More importantly, and I thought we got to have this this cabin. Aha! I sent flowers and chocolates to the secretaries of First Baptist Church Ada. And I said, thank you for putting us in pencil. Thank you for the possibility of renting your cabin and making a difference, all that kind of stuff. A week later, she calls me and says, hey, I just wanna let you know a contract is being sent in the mail and we've put you in pen. And we were like shouting for joy, yes, got the cabin. And to this day, we still have the cabin. Here's the crazy thing. We were the second group to ever stay at that cabin. So we were the second group to ever, the first time to ever use it. The group that stayed there before us, they called me and said, listen, this, we're in the middle of our camp. And I just want to let you know, be prepared. Literally half of the camp, the camp holds about between five and 7,000. Half of the camp is they're trying to get in the cabin. They want to see it. It's so beautiful. And they were just walking in the cabin. They are walking around, going in the dorms, and it's just chaos. Come up with a system. Come up with a way to keep these people out or do your own tours or something because there's just people, and they're just coming in like crazy, and it's, you know, I'm just letting you know. So we gave our students their own special bracelet. It was a colored bracelet so that we knew they belonged in the cabin. If they didn't have a bracelet, we knew that they were from outside, and they didn't need to be inside because it's our camp and it's our cabin and we didn't want stuff stolen. You just never know what happens at camp, so we had to keep them out. So then I thought, you know what? I need somebody to go with us that can tell people, I'm sorry, you're, you can't come into the cabin. We're going to give tours on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 1.30 and 3.30. You can come in, come in now, but you can't come in the cabin and just walk around and look at the cabin because we're renting it and it's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, I'm serious. There's like half of the camp was like trying to get in. It was crazy. 
And so I thought, who, who am I going to take to do that? That's their only job. They're not going to be a sponsor. They're not going to be a cook. They're literally going to go and just stand at the door behind the desk. And when people come in, they're going to tactfully tell them, you got to leave. You can't be in the cabin. Who am I going to do that? Who's going to do that? I really put some prayer into that because I wanted to find the right person or the right couple to do that. And y'all know them. And when I say their name, you're going to go, perfect. Yeah, Vicki and Rex Porter. Perfect. It wore them out. They had no idea how many people would be coming and try. Like, like a concert, people were trying to rush it. That's kind of the way it was. It was crazy. We'd come back from Bible study, and we, hadn't been, we had a ways to walk from the cabin. Those who left the, the worship service early, they were like at the cabin trying to get in. There's Vicki and Rex Porter on the inside. Vicki and her huge smile, very tactful, very soft, soothing voice, would just look at him in the eye and just say, I'm so sorry you can't be here today. And Here's why but we'd love for you to come back at this day and this time. See, you're giggling because you know Vicky, you know right? She was so nice and so kind and so dead honest at the same time. She was, they were doing a great job. They were wore out. They were doing a great job. Thursday rolls around. Andy Harrison, who leads Falls Creek, he's the guy at that time who was leading all of Falls Creek, right? So he's like the president of Falls Creek, right? He would always want to come by at least once a week just to say hi to me and say hi to our church. During lunchtime, we did, I had no idea. We were all just eating lunch. He walks in and says, hey, I'm here to see Keith Davis. Vicki and him had no idea who he was. She smiled and said, I'm sorry, you can't be here at this time. We're giving tours between 1.30 and 3.30 today, so you can come back today. And he was like, okay. He, he's looking for cameras, thinking there's a joke. Like, he's off in the corner laughing somewhere. I was over there eating lasagna or something. I didn't know what was going on. So he walks away. He's in the parking lot. He calls me. He goes, I don't know who this bodyguard is you have up here, but she just kicked me out of your cabin. I said, I'll come get you. So I went and got him and brought him back in. But Vicky and Rex, man, tactful. Spirit-led. Kind. Oh, but they're so truthful at the same time. I'll never forget what Andy said. He goes, you know what? He goes, um, she kind of chewed me out in the nicest way I've ever been chewed out because he was trying to get in. And I said, yeah, she's pretty tactful or something like that. Are we tactful with people? Are we kind? Are we respectful? Um, giving them courtesy, being thoughtful. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is, he's giving them what for? His church members. And he's saying, man, we can't be like the city of Corinth anymore. We have to be holy and separated from the world and we have to be an influence and he's saying it's time to stop. It's time to love one another in all these different ways that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 13. We've got to love people in our church, love people outside the church. We're, we're called to be different. He says don't be rude. Don't be disrespectful. And that's the, that's, that's 
what's for me today and that's for you today. God is speaking through the scripture to us today. So here's the three things. See people the way God sees them. Is that the one you need to camp out on this week and maybe even the days ahead? Your actions reveal who you are. Do you need to really focus on why you're acting and reacting the way that you are so that you can become an influence so others can see Christ in you? And number three, just being tactful, considering others before yourself. Is that the one you need to camp out on? Which one is for you? Number one is mine. So I'd like to ask you which one. Who would say number one is yours? Raise your hand, anybody? Thank you. Number one. Who would say, Keith, number two is mine. Anybody? Number two? Thank you. Who would say, Keith, number three is mine? All right. Thank you for your honesty. I'd love for us to have a time just to really pray, give you an opportunity to say what you need to say to the Lord based upon what was presented to you today through Scripture. It's very important that there's a time to speak to God about what he said to you. And so I'd love for us just to stand where we are. Go ahead and stand. I'd love for you just to bow your head. You're more than welcome to pray where you are. You're more than welcome to pray up here if you feel comfortable doing that. But we're going to have a time of worship And I would love for you to respond in the way that you need to respond through prayer. If you are here and there's never been a moment where you've given your life to Jesus and have chosen to follow him, I want you to know that today is a great day to do that. If the spirit is leading you to do that, and I would love to talk with you about that. Others here would love to talk to you about that. I'll be here afterwards if you'd like to talk about that others are available as well